want to remember a person who was um, maybe a little bit younger than a lot of us in here, but maybe uh, a little bit older than some. But he was a guy who basically had looked at his life and he had sorted things out and he had a plan. And it was to create a family. And that family, uh, he hoped, would be uh, a family in town that would do things the right way, uh, that would be gainfully employed, that would contribute to the community, uh, that would just be a source of blessing for all the people that were there. And this vision inhabited the mind of the soon-to-be father in such a way that um, everybody kind of knew it. Everybody respected this guy and as uh, his life was unfolding, it became pretty clear that he, he of all people would be one of the solid citizens of our little community. And his awareness of that took on a life of its own where he not only recognized his role and his responsibility, but he anticipated being a contributor, first of all, with lots of kids, uh, then secondly, uh, with just adding value through a carpentry trade uh, to all of the people that would be dependent on it. And the person that I'm speaking about is Joseph, a little stated character in the storyline of Jesus' birth, somebody who no words are actually attributed to his, uh, his life as far as uh, him verbally saying anything other than just what his response was when he was being told that he was going to be a father. Now, if you're a father in here, uh, maybe you recall when your wife or your significant other said, guess what, honey? We're expecting. And if you had been sort of working on having that happen, it would be a joyous moment. However, if it was something that kind of came sideways at you, it would be like, huh? And I've had the whole cross-section. I think a little bit uh, of each one of them has been, huh? I knew it was going to happen because, you know, you do those things that make those things happen. But as a result of that, um, there was a, a, a final, huh? Only this was uh, one where we weren't sure. We've had two already. We're not sure if we're going to have three. And God just sort of tipped us over the edge. And I remember getting the news. And I remember where I was sitting at. And I was glad I was sitting down because I probably would have fell over. Uh, and yet, uh, as I tried to absorb uh, just what happened, and I'm just beginning to think about what that's going to mean. We just had uh, unlearned how to change diapers. Now we got to relearn how to change diapers. Had un- beginning to unlearn how to get up in the middle of the night, having to relearn getting up in the middle of the night. And then I'm projecting way ahead to college, and I'm thinking, okay, two in college, and then after that, one more, and then after that, live in a van down by the river. And so got, got it mapped out as, uh, as, as, as we're just kind of pondering those realities. Uh, it doesn't even begin to uh, describe the huh as Joseph is being told that news. And the best way that I can describe it really is what we find in, in the book of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, it recounts the, uh, all the significant um, episodes that went to make up uh, the storyline of Jesus' birth. And in Matthew 1, 20, or 18 through 25, uh, we'll, we'll read this, uh, th- this section here. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a break like Brian. I'll, I'll let you rest and I'll, I'll read it. So, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place uh, in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just or righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, bundled into this story, I think, are just uh, patterns that are, are pretty long-standing as God relates to various people throughout the, the, the storyline of the scripture. And, and, and as I've seen as a pastor, those same patterns continue to reemerge even into your life and mine if we're able to pay attention to it. And so as we're looking at the story, I want us to try to relate to it on, on a couple of different levels. Uh, now, if you're a if you're a female in the audience, um, you're going to relate to it differently than a male. But in all cases, the response is still the same as um, things happen in life that we didn't see coming. Uh, the title of the message is actually just uh, When Life Gets Messy. And around here, we've uh, become accustomed to using that word because oftentimes we make our plans and then the mess happens. And it's just life. Every relationship where uh, two, two wills that are trying to do what they want to do together in combination, or three or ten, or however big the group of people is, uh, it tends to get a little bit messy. And if you are at a Thanksgiving dinner, maybe you can just relate to it firsthand. Maybe you have PTSD from that and you don't want to bring it up. Uh, but perhaps uh, as you're, you're just pondering that for a minute, you know that it just gets complicated in life when you try to do something or say something and it doesn't go as you've intended. And I'd venture to say that for pretty much anyone who follows Christ, those things are going to happen. And when they do, I would suggest that you not be too alarmed because God is going to take something out of that mess and work it together for good in a way that we never thought possible. And that's what I like about God is that he has a long game in mind for your life and for mine. He sees where we're at when things are not going so well, when we're saying, God, why? And then he also sees when we come to the realization, oh yeah, had I not gone through that, maybe this wouldn't have happened or that wouldn't have happened. Joseph is exactly in that place. And I, I, I like um, the, the information that's, that, that, that's included in this story because although it doesn't say much, if you can just imagine for a minute the hopes and aspirations of, of Joseph, when it said that he was a righteous man, it was the Bible's way of reminding us that this actually was not just, he's a good guy, he's cool. Uh, it's not the Bible saying, yeah, he, he was just an upstanding person or a good person. 
No, the word actually uh, in, in the oldest language that was common in that day was sadik, which meant technically a person who obeyed the laws of God, who understood the rituals and the routines and all the things that were bound up in religious obligations and just followed it to the letter. And people, when they looked at Joseph, they would say, yeah, that guy, he's, he's, he's one of the ones who's head and shoulders above everybody else alongside a select few. And it wasn't that he was posturing himself as better than anybody. It was just that he was so good at obeying the rules and doing the right thing and even loving his neighbor as, as himself that he was just well respected. And Joseph didn't get there by accident. I would venture to say that Joseph was one of these people that if he had like an Excel spreadsheet and he could just itemize all the things that he wanted to accomplish in his life and he listed them uh, in order of being able to um, uh, begin to, to go through the different processes that would make it happen. He was at that place where he had, by the arrangement of uh, a young lady's family and his own, these were arranged marriages back in the day, uh, when two families got together and said, I think these two will be a good fit for each other. At that point in time, that arrangement had been, had been made, and he was betrothed to this young lady named Mary. Okay, now this may not really gel in our mind, because uh, let me tell you what it's not. It's not Match.com. It is not any of those electronic venues where we try to find a mate. It's not even, I have a friend and she's a girl, and, well, pretty soon that involves saying, well, we're good friends, to, well, it seems like we're kissing friends, and then you know where it goes from there. Eventually, it's we are living in the same house together. And maybe even eventually, in, in this day and age, we, we might even get married. So the, the, the whole process of how we uh, accomplish that is different now than it was back in the day. Back in the day, when you were betrothed, it meant this. Just take that process I gave to you and, and, and just turn it around backwards. It meant that you didn't get to choose your mate, and when your parents chose the mate for you, then you were considered married. Only for a year, you could not be together in any kind of a setting where you're living together, and certainly not in any way where you weren't publicly together. And for that period of time of betrothal, uh, it really was a preparation moment for the great day when the marriage would be consummated. And it was elevated in such a way that um, it was a celebration for the whole community. And Joseph was at that place where he was thinking, yeah, it's just right around the corner. The whole plan of starting this family and having our business, it's all beginning to come together. But like so many things, we make plans, God directs the path. And Joseph was no exception. God had basically ambushed him. I can't think of a better word. He just came out of the bushes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, he hears a young lady who happens to be his love interest tell him, I'm pregnant. Now, Normally when we hear that, usually we understand why. But in his case, he's scratching his head because he's immediately thinking, it's not me, so who is it? And she said, well, it was God. And you can imagine how that went over because 
I don't know of any other recorded case where a person's been able to play that card and get away with it. So he's considering the fact that this is going in a direction that I, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around. And the scripture said, not only was he righteous, but that he considered these things. Let me tell you what happens when a betrothed person discovers that his bride-to-be is pregnant and it's not his child. The consideration goes like this. I cannot believe she did that. I cannot believe that I'm in this predicament. I cannot believe how this is just going to wreck my whole life. And he's thinking about, well, you know what? I got off to a good start. This is a little bit of a derailment, but I'm going to get it back on the rails. I do care a lot about her, but I am concerned about the fact that it's going to jeopardize everything that I had in mind for my future as a, as a father, as a businessman, as a person in the community. This is absolutely scandalous. And yet, because I don't want this thing to blow up, I, I've got a hard choice to make. Now, in the Old Testament, because he was a righteous man, he could have said, uh, Deuteronomy 22 says, take you to the edge of the town and stone you. But nobody was practicing that in his day, and he probably didn't even cross his mind. But he did know this. In that very patriarchal culture, if a female got pregnant and it was discovered that it was out of wedlock, she would be taken to the city center and humiliated. And it's not really what you would call... Um, a stellar moment for all the parties involved. And he saw that coming, and he's like, I'm going to try to make this as low-key and below the radar as I possibly can, because I do care, but I can't move forward like this. And his head is just swimming. If you can imagine all of the turmoil that's churning in his mind, because up until now, that wasn't even probably something that even pondered as a possibility. That life happens, doesn't it? Maybe you're here in worship today because there's something going on in your life that is way over your head. Or maybe you never thought a year ago I'd be sitting right now dealing with this. And it may be that God is involved in that whole process somehow. Many times he didn't cause it, but rather it just happened because... Life is messy. But when God is in the equation, his job is to come in and to help sort it out so that as many people as possible can land on their feet. It's just the type of God that we worship. It's why, why, why many of us just keep coming back every Sunday and many of us uh, you know, begin to incorporate God into our lives and, and, and try to have that same attitude that Joseph did. But when the messiness of life happens, a lot of times, we're not really sure how to respond. And I don't know that I'm good at it. I'm getting better at it. But I do know when I look at his response, there's some solid stuff there that I think is very respectable. And as he's thinking about his own dilemma, divine intervention happens. An angel shows up and begins to help him get perspective on all that he's seeing happen in his life. And the angel says, there's Joseph, there's something a little larger than your plan going on here. And believe it or not, as strange as it sounds, this is all part of God's divine plan. 
And as the angels are telling him, Joseph's like, go ahead, I'm, I'm listening, but I'm skeptical because I just don't even begin to imagine what you can tell me that's going to change my, my attitude. And as the angel begins to explain, this young lady is in fact um, carrying the child of God himself. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that conception resulted in the, the formation of a life that is beginning inside of her. And it's God's way of telling us, if people want to know if I have credibility, all they have to do is look to Jesus and realize, I became one of them. And everything that they've gone through, he's going to go through. And God is trying to share with Joseph that it's in the messiness of life that God does his best work. And God is such a God who has organized the heavens and organized your DNA and mine in such a way that it is beautifully and systemically put together where it just thrives. But God is not so above the messiness in all of that order that he doesn't come down into your world and mine and say, I want to get my hands and my feet dirty with you so that you know how much I truly love you. And prior to that, they kind of understood because he called them out of Egypt and made them a people, but they were sort of standoffish from him because he was an awesome God to be respected. And God wanted to show a side of himself that was actually much more personal, and much more compassionate. And for those of you who are coming to church, who maybe have been burned by church, or maybe you've fallen away because of judgmentalism, or maybe you're just testing the water, I want you to know something. God is not an angry God looking for reasons to keep you away from him. But, but rather, God is a loving God who's looking for reasons that can, that, that can enable him to come close. And a lot of times... We're not paying attention until life gets messy. And then we are paying attention. And the angel had Joseph's attention. And Joseph was all ears because this wasn't in the plan. And his whole world is being rocked. Now the angel said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take Mary as your wife. And I want you to take responsibility for this whole situation. And as you do, I want you to especially take Jesus as your son. And I want you to go along with everything that I'm directing you to do. And being a God-fearing person, he had no problem with that. But as the angel left and he kind of woke up from this, whatever you would call it, a dream, a trance, whatever, some, some entrance into a world we don't normally see, He's starting to do the math again. All right, here's what it's going to cost me. I am no longer going to be Joseph, the upstanding citizen. But now I'm going to be Joseph, a married, married to the woman who's an adulteress. And I'm going to have a child who is illegitimate. Probably two words we don't even hear anymore. But in their day, that was like the worst. That would be, that would be as offensive as somebody saying, I'm going to go to a KKK rally. I mean, it had that, like, oh, 
No. And yet, because God was in the equation, this righteous man said, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. This is really going to get messy. Matter of fact, it's going to be painful. It's not going to be easy. And maybe you're stepping back and you're saying, God, why would you do that to Joseph? Why would you let him go through the pain of knowing that this child that he has is going to be looked upon pejoratively in a way where people would say, yeah, that illegitimate child and other words that aren't nice are going to be directed towards him. How do I know that? Because later on in the Bible, he's not called the son of Joseph. He is called the son of Mary. And the reason why in that culture they called him the son of Mary is because they're saying, we don't know who the father is. Now, we don't see that side of Jesus when we read the Gospels, but it's definitely implied. And it means that Jesus, if you're from a broken, broken home, or from a home that is deemed not by society standards acceptable, then Jesus is right there in your camp with you. He knows the stigma. He knows the pain. He knows the messiness. And yet this kid thrived because he not only had a father figure in the form of Joseph begin to develop him into the person that he needed to be, but he also had a heavenly father who was constantly watching out for him all along the way. And the thing that I like about this story is in a lot of ways there's a continuation between the acceptance of what Joseph said to God as, if it's your will, I'll do it. And then, because he was an upstanding guy, taking responsibility for the situation in a way that no one could fault. But here's what he was up against. And I just have three things I need to say quickly. And that is, you know, first of all, as we read this text, Joseph is told to do something that he, he, he quite honestly wasn't used to. He's, he's told to take a risk. And as he took a risk on that, um, he recognized that there, there just isn't, isn't anything here that tells me that this is going to work out well, except the word of God. And if God promised it, for you or for me, then chances are he's got something greater in mind. Now, I want to back up a little bit to the, to the very first point on the, um, on, 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 in, in the slide deck. The thing that you have to do before you take a risk, though, is to look inside at yourself and say, am I, am I afraid? I'm doing the math here, and this isn't in line with what I expected life to to become, and this isn't in line with all of the challenges that I'm going to face at every turn, and I'm honestly apprehensive about that. And so Joseph first began to check himself before he took them on. And when he took them on as a risk, he trusted God. And how do we know this? Because the scripture tells us that he did something regarding Jesus that, 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 again, is implied. It said, I want you, Joseph, to name this child Jesus, which, of course, means uh, God with us. 
But as you're naming this child, you are also making a public declaration that you're going to take responsibility for this child. And that will be in a written document that is formalized uh, in, um, in, in the city government. And so he commits himself to Jesus on the level of a father taking responsibility for, of all people, the Son of God. Now, there's some new fathers in here. Uh, there's some fathers with young kids. You look at those children and you say, I'm seeing them imitate some of my own behavior. And it's making me nervous. Matter of fact, it's making me give up some habits that I used to have that I enjoyed. But now I've got to be a good father. And that's committing yourself to your kids. And I kind of joked about my, my youngest one, uh, Stephen. Stephen, um, at, at every phase of his life, I've just been watching him and trying to develop him like I did the other, the other two. And I think sometimes he wonders, you know, what I'm up to and if I'm, if I'm paying attention. But I, I always am. Steve and I went for a car ride the other day. We went to go uh, to... Um, take, take a computer to the uh, Apple store in Pittsburgh, and I wanted to bring him along, and he's learning how to drive, okay? And this was the first time that he's learned on the turnpike, which, you know, I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm not, I'm projecting confidence. Uh, and he's doing good. Uh, and then we had to go into North Hills. You ever been in North Hills in Pittsburgh? It's like this. And he's just like overwhelmed, and finally he just says, Dad... Can you drive? So I, I drove, and uh, it was—it just was so cool to watch him develop. Well, his his interest isn't primarily driving a car, but I would say at this age, his interest is this. And so he had—I got a new one. He had to check it out, make sure that everything was what it needed to be. And he came across this app that said Legacy, and he said. I'm going to get rid of some apps on your phone because I know you'll never need them. They're like games and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, probably I'll never need them, but you'll probably will if your phone dies. Uh, So leave them on there. Then he found this one. He said, what's legacy? And I said, Stephen, that's an app about you. He said, what do you mean you? Which I said, it says you have 72 weeks until graduation. I said, "I, I look at this, and I know you guys are laughing. You're thinking... Well, you could take it two ways. <clears throat> One is, um, can't wait, you know, hot tub in that room and stuff. Um, but I told him, I said, I, I truly am just valuing uh, that time before you graduate because I know you're going to be on your own. And I'm just thinking I've got that much time to prepare you for life. And I just feel the window getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I want to leverage that moment that we have together as effectively as I possibly can. I said, every time I see those numbers, I get sad because they're always lower and lower and lower. And I know just like the other two, you're going to leave us, aren't you? Because they abandoned us, went to college. I told my wife, I said, why didn't we have four kids? I like having kids all of a sudden. Now they're disappearing. And I have to say, I'm committed to those guys. Because it's just a pattern of behavior that God said, Joseph committed to his kid, many others committed to theirs, and they benefited from it. Jesus even went so far as to say, I can't do anything unless I see my father doing it. 
And he said that in another gospel, but the wording is so ambiguous that it could actually imply both my heavenly father and my earthly father. Those two guys, I look to them. And whatever they're doing, that's what I'm doing. And when Joseph committed himself to Jesus, his responsibility was a little bit unique. But in many ways, it's the same. He said, basically, I'm going to commit whatever part of my life I need to the purpose of this kid because it's that important. And now that that kid has become an adult and he's become a savior who died on the cross who we remember every Sunday, now that kid is saying to you and I, I want you to be a part of the family that I grew up in. I want you to know people that you've never met before. And I want those people that you've never met before to reflect in their lives to you the things that they see their Heavenly Father doing. And I want you to experience the joy in being a part of a family that honors God. And so you see, the lines do intersect pretty well. We have to decide whether or not it's really worth it. Because I know a lot of us are afraid of taking a step closer to God. Once you get close to God, he starts kind of pulling you a little bit. And then you start thinking, I just don't know if I've got space in my life for God. And God's like, whatever space you're holding out on, and whatever it is that you're putting between you and me, I can occupy occupy that space in your life better than anything or anyone else. And it'll make every part of your life better. The thing I like about Joseph is he just said, I thought I had it all together. I had the perfect life mapped out. You know it, God. And yet you threw this wrench in there to show me that even as perfectly as we map it out here on earth, it doesn't even begin to compare with the messiness that God throws us into. Especially when he is in charge of the mess. And maybe your life is on the other end. It's kind of a mess. And maybe God's saying, I'm the master of messes. Just bring it to me and we'll work through it together. This worship gathering is really just a doorway into a relationship that you may or may not be experiencing. And our job is to just make sure that if at all possible, we can help you to do that.